Smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Golovin. Lovely finish. Ajax delivery. Gendouzi's header. Here's an opportunity. Sanchez. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. Adolberg. Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it. With the unerring accuracy of a Messi-Neymar 1-2, with the weight of an Enzo Lefay pass, the balance of a Matteo Genduzzi brace, that's one in each column, the guile and devil of a Teji Savanier set piece, and as quick as a Jean-Claire Todibo red card, welcome to Le Beau Jeu. In fact, if this podcast was a French Ligue 1 match, we'd already have had somebody sent off. If it was Ligue 2... It might already have been two. As it stands, the official League Amp podcast is back. We have a full cast and we are ready to take you through all the action of week eight of this intriguing French football season. I'm joined by a pair of League Amp experts and world feed commentators, Angus Turoad. How are you doing, Angus? You're looking a little worse for wear. I think we can say that, but it's been a big weekend of League Amp football for you. At least we know where you were. Yes. <laughs> yes, I was on the I was on the highlights last night, and I also slept through the uh, Nantes against the Lens uh, game as well. And uh, this morning, I feel more tired than an F one racing car. <laughs> <laughs> Andreas Evagora, you're with us as well. You had a big weekend uh, of league and football, also. Yeah, I, I was uh, watching and commentating um, some league gun matches. I, I just about kept awake during that Nantes game, uh, but only just, uh, only just. Well, I, w- I was watching a few of the highlights, and I thought it looked quite entertaining. But that's where highlights can be deceptive, isn't it? Yes. There were there were a few chances. Now, I'd like to ask you both a question: Where else would you normally start a look back at all the weekend action in Liga? Where else, indeed, than with Regis Lebris side, FC Lorient? I mean, who would have thought we'd ever be saying this? We we marvelled at their performances last week on the pod as well. But I'd like to bring up a, a little, because I, I want to bring in some French uh, curiosities into, into this podcast from time to time. And how do we feel about calling FC Lorient le tube de l'été, that, gentlemen? And... Yeah, <laughs> I, I want to correct one first, because people are calling them, are calling le merlou, the cods, you know, cod like the fish. But oh it's no, actually, they're not cods. It's hake. Well, no, I've seen a few it articles is. calling them, and, and that's that's big difference. So let's let's get that right. Uh, they're, they're the hates. I think there may be a, a I think there may be a, an old Wikipedia page or something that had them mis mistranslated yeah. as, as cod. They are indeed hake, and they are le tube de l'été. I'll go back to that because that doesn't mean they're summer's hose or a tube or a pipe of 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 summer. Basically, it means they're the top forty hit. They are the 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 summer hit on the back of three straight wins. They've made their best ever start to a league on season before they travelled to Auxerre, who themselves were on the back of three straight losses. And Matt Spiro called all the action. Only 37% possession for Lorient, but uh, they're starting to get on top here. Lefay, great ball. Polso into the box. The cutback from him. The chance for Watara. And Dango Watara has got another goal. Enzo Lefay splitting the Auxerre defence. Ponso's run, and then Dango Watera. A 
Le Goff finds Ponceau. Nicely done for Vincent Le Goff. He stands it up far post. And the header across to the L'Oreal. Terry Murphy pouncing at the near post. Really, really good football once again from Regis Lebris team. Terra Murphy, the Nigerian, with his sixth goal in as many games. Look off now. Lorient have got their tails up. Ponceau. Enzo Lefay into the box. Problems here for Osser again. The shot, the save, and then Lefay on the follow-up offside. Dango Watura it was with the first attempt. Direct running from Lefay. Watura denied. Is Lefay offside? This is going to be looked at. What's the decision? Ah, the goal is going to stand. It's 3-0 towards there. Enzo Lefay is not offside. And it's going from bad to worse for Jean-Marc Fiorland's team. Now, possibilities for us there. Matthias Odrek. Owen Vogo spilt it. And it's Gauthier Ein who gets a goal back for us there. Matthias Odrek caused the problems against his former team. His shot was spilt. Enzo Lefay, Ponzo Watara, Terran Moffi with six goals already this season. Now, Lorient traditionally have been notoriously poor travellers. If they're still in Ligue 1 even over the last few seasons and they've had some scares, it's been thanks to their home form at Le Moustoir. But Andreas, this team has something about them. This, this unfancied team, this unfancied coach in his first ever full-time job. We've spoken about him in recent weeks. But are they just a summer tube? Are they just a one-hit wonder? Or is this uh, FC Lorient side a classic in the making? No, I, I think we could see a little bit more of them. I was looking at their um, their program for October, and they've got some winnable games in there. They've got Brest, Reims, Troyes. Um, you know, they could win a few more in October. But going back to what they've done so far, really surprising, because last year they defended horribly, didn't they? They conceded 63 goals. They just stayed up. Um, they basically lost most of the players that were fairly well-known. Uh, including uh, uh, Loriente, who's probably their, their best player. But yeah, Enzo Lefay uh, uh, has been superb. You, the, the other players you mentioned, especially uh, young Dango Watara. So, um, and their coach, I mean, again, really not a guy that was well known at all. Uh, Regis Lebris. <laughs> and he's, he, I was thinking the other day that uh, about 15 years ago, I was commenting a lot of German football, as was Angus. And there was another coach from a, a club on the West of that country um, at a club called Mines, who was completely unknown. He came in, he was another <laughs> youth coach, completely changed the way they played, a guy by the name of Thomas Tuckle, and he's had a pretty decent career since. So maybe we'll be seeing a lot more and hearing a lot more of, of Regis Lebris. But so far, look, they're, they're, they're doing superbly well. And I think it's great. I mean, it's always good to see the big clubs doing well and challenging PSG, but it's, it's also nice to see one of the smaller clubs, and and that this year it's 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 Lorient, which for the, those who don't know French geography too well, is a, a small town way in the west of France in Brittany, not really known for its football, but they're they're putting that right this season.
Yeah, the Angus. When I when I wrote the rundown, when I was writing all my links and intros, I, I I didn't take into account the fact of how you might be feeling and not perhaps not the most adventurous today or with your mind ready for some mental gymnastics after your lack of sleep. But I do know that you're. But, but yes. <laughs> there's, there's always a but, yes. Angus. <laughs> but I'm going to run with it anyway. <laughs> I know that you are an eccentric theatric Englishman in the great tradition. And, uh, and so I've oh, got thanks. an exercise in, in stretching your mind and the realms of possibilities a little bit. Could Lorient, with their annual operating budget of 50 million euros, which is 11th in the league, they're not the lowest, there are some very small budgets in, in the French top flight, um, but could Lorient, with that operating budget, it's basically up against Paris Saint-Germain at the moment. They're only a few points behind the 700 million euro operating budget of Paris Saint-Germain. Could this Lorient side be in the mix all the way to the end? Could they be the Leicester of French football? Because we had Montpellier back in, in 2012, but could we really take this 2013 rather? Could we really, no, 2012, could we really take this next level? And this Lorient side hang in there because we've seen sides go for that first six months of the season and not go through with it. But I think this side has something. Well, not being born in the 60s, I'm not used to having my mind bent to all of the <laughs> sundry, but I will have a go. And I don't wish to be the uh, porter of doom either. But unfortunately, I think that if we look back at last season, I think the answer is probably no. Um, Lorient got off to a pretty good start last season as well. They were as high as fourth on the uh, the second day of the season. They only lost once in their first nine games, although draws were the thing that held them back. But then they went on a horrible slump and spent the rest of the season in relegation trouble. Christophe Pellessier had to go, I suppose. I must admit, I had a little bit of a regret. I quite liked Christophe Pellessier as a coach, but um, in the end, it, it wasn't going to work and they thought they would come again. This season, they've been brilliant. I mean, let's face it, the, the draws have been replaced by victories. They're three points away from Paris Saint-Germain, which is almost laughable. But um, there they are. They went above Lons, who are continuing to do a pretty similar job again this summer. Again, another team who the last two seasons have been up there at the beginning of the season, but then just haven't been able to keep it going for the rest of the campaign. So I think as well, particularly with four uh, relegation places this season, we're going to see a lot of clubs much higher up the table, looking very nervous for most of the campaign. And I think, unfortunately, I would love to be wrong. And let's face it, coming up in this program is a program where you're going to be delighted in my wrongness. We're going to, we're going to keep that, your powder uh, dry, Angus. We're going, going to get there. To. We are like a, a, an out-of-control train heading down the tracks straight for your pre-season prediction. But we won't. We're going to take our time oh, to get yes. there. We're going to enjoy the ride as well. Also, over the weekend then, after that incredible result, that's four in a row now for FC Lorient. They started that run, well, they continued that run with that, that winner in midweek over Lyon, where I think that gave them a real boost of belief as well. And they're just going from strength to strength. Now, Marseille versus Rennes is normally a, a, a big match or a biggish match on the, on the French footballing calendar, I think it's fair to say. Pretty much wherever Marseille travel is a, is a big game for the home team. But uh, this time it was Rennes on the road. Rennes, who have been uh, a solid French uh, Ligue 1 campaigner of recent seasons. This one was at a rather unusual kickoff time um, in France, the, the 3 p.m. Sunday kickoff, which is not normally a, a, a time, a kickoff time reserved for the likes of Olympique de Marseille or Stade René for, 
for that. But I think this Ren side have been blowing a little bit hot and cold. Marseille have been mixing it with Paris Saint-Germain. Let's hear what happened at the Stade Velodrome with Ian Holyman. Terrier invites Traore to come forward now. Bourigio, nice build-up from Ren. Beautiful build-up indeed. Traore, it's in, is it? It is forced over the line, I think, by Douai. May well have gone in off the crossbar from Traore's attempt to cross. But either way, Renner in front. And it's hard to argue that they don't deserve it. Veratu to deliver. For the Neapolitan, Ginduzi's there. And he scored at both ends now. No doubt that that's his goal. And Genduzi brings Marseille level. Superb near post header. Delivered expertly from Veratu. Fine header from Matteo Genduzi for his first goal of the season. Now, this game saw Marseille drop points. Genduzi with an own goal and then an equalising goal. He's certainly a player with, with plenty of character. But it's been a whirlwind start for these sides um, with European competition as well. And I think a few of the European sides, perhaps apart from Monaco, who we've discussed them several times, are starting to hit their stride from having been ready early for for those Champions League playoffs. They're starting to feel the heat. Um, Andreas, perhaps one of the keys of this match, and uh, something perhaps we never thought we'd say, Stev Mondonda returning to Marseille. It was a historic moment. He played 613 matches for Olympic de Marseille. That's an incredible number of matches. And here he was, all of a sudden, the long-serving captain, the World Cup winner, the, re- the reserve keeper for Le Bleu for so long, returning to Marseille. And uh, what did you make of that and this match? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that was really interesting. He's a hero there. I mean, no one's played more matches for, for Marseille than Mondanda. Uh, Marseille did talk a lot about having to put these Liga matches and, and Champions League matches together um, and the effects it has, the toll it has. Honestly, I don't buy it at all. Not 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 in this stage of the season. And there's no reason that Marseille, especially with a pretty big squad, I mean, they lost a lot of players over the summer, but they brought in a hell of a lot of players as well, um, should be, you know, that they've, they've rotated the side. Uh, Ego Tudor's, Tudor's talked about that. He was blaming the pitch, wasn't he? I saw an interview after where he said, yeah. Because of the pitch, we couldn't get the ball forward. I don't know. It sounds like a, b- a bit of a lame excuse. Um, and if you're Marseille, you should be able to string good performances together in both of those competitions. Now, look, Marseille have started really well, probably better than anyone thought, better than than I thought, because I thought Tudor's track record was a little bit patchy. Um, and traditionally, they've actually done very well after Champions League matches. And if you saw a couple of years ago, they won every match after playing in the Champions League, after losing in the Champions League, we should say. After so losing it, every match in the Champions uh, League. Uh, but I, I, I saw an interview from Benjamin Andre at Lille who was saying players actually prefer to play two matches a week at this stage of the season rather than one match and train. Because, look, they're footballers. They prefer to play than train. And they're going to be training anyway. And playing gets you more fit. So he was saying this whole thing about playing two matches a week, oh, it's so hard. It, it, it's a myth. Of course, Marseille should do it. They were a little bit off against Wren. They never really got going. Um, the match was just a little bit flat, but you look, you can't win them all. And I think if you'd have asked Marseille fans at the beginning of the season, would you have been in this situation? Would you want to be in this situation now? 
uh, at the international break, they would have grabbed it with both hands. So no room to panic, but it, it was a bit flat from Marseille. Angus, what about Ren? Because they're just they're exchanging good results, bad results, good results, bad results. They're, they've been in Europe the last couple of years. They're another team that shouldn't really have this excuse. There have been changes in their playing squad, particularly up front. There have been considerable changes. But this is, you know, Pep, Pep Genesio is there again. He knows he knows the club now. He knows what he's doing. They've got some very talented footballers. They had injury problems last year. But, but should they not be looking for a little bit more consistency? I think they've really suffered from losing Gaetan Laborde. He had a fantastic first season last uh, campaign and uh, really linked up really well with Martin Terrier and a lot of other players that were in that side. I think this is one of probably, he's probably underestimated as a player because of the fact that, I don't know, he's not a, he's not a headline grabber, is he, as such. He tends to be somebody who makes a lot of other players look exceedingly good. Um, we saw that last season with assists, uh, goals himself, general play up front. And maybe they are struggling from that. Away from home, they have a tendency to, to score as, as often as they actually concede, which doesn't exactly give you a real stability as such because you're never quite sure which way it's going to go. Um, I think last season, Wren had a fantastic season. Um, I almost mentioned that other team again, and I'm not going to because it's very similar. But, um, uh, but uh, I think they'll come round. They need to rebuild again. They, um, they're not one of these teams where... They're not going to be able to build, I think, really huge drives forward because there's only Paris Saint-Germain, really, who've got the finances to be able to continually add talent. As you can see, Ren do have to sort of buy and sell to, to keep going. Um, but I think, you know, as you say, Genesio is a good coach, so I think that uh, they will keep going. I think the result yesterday against Marseille was actually a very good one for them. Uh, considering Marseille's start. So I don't think there was really too much to panic about with them. I'm still fairly confident, although, frankly, why I'm confident in any team these days, I have no idea. You're listening to a, a conscious-stricken, self-questioning Angus Terode. Track Angus on Twitter. Andreas Evagora, Evagora3 on Twitter. And myself, Robbie Thompson, on Le Beau Jeu. Get on your podcast platforms, rate us, spread the word. Send us an email if you want. Get in, get in contact with us at league1podcast at gmail.com or get on Twitter. We're on Le Beaujeu as well, or the League and World, I think it is now, the, uh, the new handle for our, for our Twitter page. Elsewhere, the weekend started with Lille overcoming Toulouse 2-1, Jonathan David or David and Adam Unas, either side of Shaibi for the TFC. European clubs feeling the heat. Perhaps the international break couldn't come at a better time. Nantes and Lens, as Angus uh, brought us, took us through just but gently by the hand as we drifted off and slumbered during during a scoreless draw. Nice lost again, this time Nabil Bentaleb with the goal for Angers, but uh, we'll get to that as well in a moment because that featured the earliest red card, the quickest red card ever in Ligue 1 history uh, for Jean-Claire Todibo. There was a win for Ajaxio, their first of the season. Roman Hamouma, the veteran, exchanging red cards for a goal this time, his first goal of the season after two red cards. He'll be hoping to continue squaring up that that sheet. They defeated Brest. Trois got a big win away to Clermont. Mama Balde with a double and Renaud Ripard doing the damage after Johan Gastian, the coach's son, had given Clermont a third-minute lead. And there was some truly 
naive and terrible defending in this one from Clermont. If you're a, a budding coach, don't watch the highlights of this one because you will wake in the night with a cold sweat. Monaco got up over Reims. It wasn't easy. It was a 3-0 victory in the end. Golovin at the start of the second half. Minamino with his first in French football. Wissam Benyetta with his first of the season. But those two goals both coming very late on. And yes, you guessed it, another red card. And that time it was for Reims in Monaco's defence. They've had red cards in each of their last three home games. So they are certainly not going to be feeling sorry for Reims. Monaco on a bit of a charge. They're up to fifth. But that brings us, gentlemen, I know, to something we've all been feeling brewing. But uh, this week it came to a head. A good girl, a good old-fashioned rant. Get it off your chest. Oh, quelle bande de chèvres. C'est mon coup de gueule. I want everyone to be a, a part of this. It's all, and I don't want it to go too long either. I don't want it to be irrational. I don't want it, although that's what a rant is, I guess. But look, this red card, this red card situation in French football is, uh, is a little bit out of control. Just to set the scene, we had Jean-Claire Todibo, who was sent off inside nine seconds. Now, that was only just a second outside of Kylian Mbappe's fastest ever Paris Saint-Germain goal earlier this season, which was right from kickoff. Basically, this is two passes forward, a foul on the edge of the box. Now, this one is one that we can discuss. It was a foul. I think there were other players in cover. I think it was harsh, but that was nothing compared to poor old Stade de Reims Reims left-back Bradley Loco just 20 years of age, he was sent off for passing the ball. This is literally what happened in his match. And early on for Reims against Monaco, and if Monaco got that 3-0 victory, yes, certainly they won't be feeling sorry for Reims after their own troubles. But, but have a look at the highlights of this. Basically, Bradley Loco kicks the ball. Briel Mbolo, the Monaco forward, is so late on the scene that he was never going to block the pass he gets there by the time Bradley Loco's foot is up around knee level and there is contact. Now, look, football is a contact sport. Andreas, I'll bring you in on this one because I know you, you found this hard to believe as well. But football is a contact sport. No, we don't want players injured. No, we don't want reckless challenges where, where players are endangered. But there is going to be contact. Of course there is, and I'll, and I'll let you pull up the figures that you sent me last night, but it, it, it was about the number of red cards in the different European leagues. England has had three all season. I think La Liga had mid-20s, and France were looking yeah. at high 30s. Look, football, I hate it when people say people have got to use their common sense, because everyone's got their own common sense. But referees really have to use their common sense. When, when you kick a football, there's a follow-through, right? I mean, it doesn't matter, even if you're playing at low-level Sunday league, as I used to, or at the, the the highest level, you kick a football. There's a follow through, and and if op- an opposition player happens to be there, that's not your fault. And Bradley Loco, as you say, Loco, it wasn't even a foul. Uh, there's no way that the um, Padibo incident was a red card. Um, it just wasn't that serious a foul. Um, red cards and penalties decide matches, so referees have got to be very careful about these kind of decisions. Um, and also, if you, there's another debate about whether a, a foul in the first minute and the 90th minute has an equal value if it's the same foul. But if you, if you give a red card in the early minutes, 
we all know whatever level of football you've played, the referee is going to be tested because all the other 21 players think, hmm, he's given a red card. There's no way he's going to give another red card so early. Um, so it can make a match. There was another physical. red card in that match as well. And there was another Angers, red card. Midway through the second half. I mean, yeah. I know this is a Ligue 1 podcast, not Ligue 2, but if you look at Metz-Gangon, when Metz had three players sent off, the first the first red card, or was it the second? I've lost track. Was again not the goalkeeper. It wasn't a foul. And then the third red card, <laughs> Jean-Jacques Danly, was a horror tackle. I mean, that's not for the under-18s to watch that. It, and, no, it and, was and brutal. All, yeah, all three players went off in tears. I don't know if you saw that. And it was like, no, yeah. it wasn't really nice to see. No one was enjoying it. And, you know, but, but, I was wondering, you, you've spoken to referees, Robbie. I mean, do, do they play football or have they spent their whole life officiating? Because it, it, those decisions are just daft. I mean, that, that loco, it, it wasn't even a foul. It's was. a red card. The match, according to, you know, Oscar Garcia said that he killed the whole match. Um, I, I saw an interesting interview with, with um, Pierre-Lys Malou recently. He obviously had a year in England. And he was asked, what's the major difference between football, England and France? And he said, it's the refereeing. And the referees, and I'm not here to defend England because there's, there's loads of mistakes in England as well. But he said there is, there's a communication between referees and players which seems to be completely absent in France. He said the first, before his first match playing for Norwich, the referee came up to him and said, hello, how are you? And he was like, you know, who's he talking to? You know, he's completely <laughs> baffled by the idea that a referee would come and talk to a player before the match. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. There should be friendly relations between a referee and players. Obviously, there's a referee. Maybe, maybe it's it's an interesting point you raise there because we saw Presnel Kimpembe the other day when the referee went to Kimpembe and put his arm on him. Kimpembe mm. was was out of line the way he reacted as well. So it's it's yeah. obviously a cultural thing here where the French the the relationship between referees and players is not good. Oh, it's very poor. Uh, to, to me, it's very poor. And you, you can sense it. There, there's this sort of brittleness in the relations. It, it it's frosty. Of course, there's always going to be a bit of conflict between players and referees. That that's as old as the hills. But I think it's a real problem in France, and the authorities have have, have got to look into it. And the fact that we're nearing 40 red cards, that's way too many uh, end of September. We'll go through the stats of those red cards then. Uh, Ligue 1, and this is in, in first and second division matches across the big leagues in Europe. Ligue 1 is second only to Ligue 2 in, in terms of red cards this season. Ligue 2, 43 red cards. Now, I think they've played an extra round in Ligue 2, but Ligue 1, 34, uh, Portugal, 27, La Liga, 20, Serie A, 15, so 15 in Serie A to Liga 34, Bundesliga, 12 compared to Liga 34, Eredivisie, 9, and then the Premier League, 3. Three red cards in the Premier League. There have been a couple of matches uh postponed, I guess, of the last weekend, but certainly not enough to, to fudge those figures. That is over 10 times more red cards in French football. Now, when people do come to French football players, they do say it is physical. It mm. is a physical league. There's, there's lots of contact. There's lots of physicality. But, but this is referees that have clearly uh, brought in some sort of, some sort of, decision-making process this season to, to clamp down on, 
on what they think are reckless challenges or to try and protect players from injury, players are going to get injured. It's a contact sport. Say it again. No one wants to see nasty challenges where players go in to try and cause harm, but it does happen. Now, speaking of red cards and rough and tumble and having just revealed the the, the, the exception to the rule that disproves the 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 stereotype of English football and and Premier League with their three red cards. Let's talk about Englishmen in Ligue 1 because we had a couple of emails this week that wanted to talk about it. One from John Porter who wanted to chat about Ross Barkley's move to Nice and how that raised a few eyebrows. Um, But what do we think of him? And he thinks that, that this could be a great move for Ross Barkley and that he could shine here. Nice are a club that have got something of a an English accent at the moment. There's Welsh Aaron Ramsey in the in the side as well, but Joe Bryan is there. He got his first goal for the club in in Europe in midweek as well. Uh, we also had a, a message from Burke Ertegrul, uh in Turkey who who wanted to chat about Reese Healy, who unfortunately has done his knee and will miss uh, probably all of this season with Toulouse, which is a big shame for Toulouse because they could they could really use him at the moment. But we are seeing Englishmen carrying on a not necessarily a well well worn path to to league on for Englishmen. More recently, we've had David Beckham or Joey Barton. We had Joe Cole at Lille when they were champions as well. But uh, we've got a few kicking around in the French top flight at the moment. And uh, as two Englishmen, I will uh, doff my hat and and see the seed my position here. And and what do you think? Let's let's start first of all with Barkley. What Angus? What what are you expecting from him, and what and what do you think about seeing these these Englishmen, often youngsters, that have come here to to find some playing time, like they were doing in the Bundesliga as well? What what do you make of it? I have to take a little bit of an issue with you saying that there isn't a great history of Englishmen in uh, French football, shall we say? Perhaps not league. I'll grant you that, but I mean, if you go back to the nineteen twenties and thirties, there are actually quite a lot, dozens of them knocking That's around. True. In That's fact, true. In uh, in there and you, they you, founded, you, yeah, uh, founded had, most think, of the clubs mm. <sighs> exactly and i think that that is the say that that's the evangelizing of football around the world in some mm. senses as well i mean not just englishmen all from the round of Great scottish Britain. as well yeah victor absolutely oh yeah the victor gibson went to um france in the 1920s and took his side to uh, a uh, cup final and in uh, which a couple of englishmen played billy cornelius and arthur park so They've always been there. I think that it's just that now every, everything is much more known now about um, football around the world. Well, Ray so Wilkins also played for Paris Saint-Germain. I, I, I mean, I know, I did, know a little bit of history of, of the English. Le Havre Athletic Club, or Le, Le, how would an Englishman say it? Le Havre. Le Havre. Le Havre Athletic Club is the oldest footballing club in, in France as well. Yeah. So. So, so that's there as well. Obviously, there is the tradition, but let's let's keep it now after the little history lesson, which we are partial to on Le Bourgeois. What about this this new trend of of Englishmen going abroad and coming here to France? Well, I think for Ross Barkley, uh, you you were right when you say it's young players who are coming across to try and get first team football. Uh, Ross Barkley is no longer a young player, um, but he's trying to revitalise his um, career, and I think I think this comes off the back of. Um, what happened with the Bundesliga. I think um, a lot of English players went to Germany, turned their careers around, and it, it pricked the ears of uh, a lot of other English players. And it opened the way, not just to Germany, but to France as well. 
Italy, of course, was a big one in the 1990s, which sort of started it. But then there was a bit of a gap, uh, you have to say. Yeah, it was a bit different then, wasn't I, it? They I, I were the big stars going to Italy. Was. That was the Gascoins yeah. and the Platt and the Ints that were, you know, yeah. the yeah, big players. I, mean, I think that this, this time around you've got players who are not, sorry, Andres, who are, who are not quite so well known, but are trying to be known. And we've seen an awful lot of um, success that way. William Salibar, I would say, is probably the biggest example of that. Uh, he did score an own goal, I know, um, a couple of weeks ago, which Andres is probably boiling over still. Um, but... Um, he was very successful in all the clubs he played for in France. And it is a, dare I say it, a lot of them are on loan and it's a route back into their, their home teams, if you like, their parent clubs after they've done yeah, it. Yeah, I, I would agree with, with everything you've said, that it's been younger players coming through or, or occasionally players at the back end of their career. Um, I think the player we've forgotten and people of a, <clears throat> French people of a certain age, of my age, they, when you say, oh, English players, they always talk about one player. And it's Chris Waddle, who was a player who won nothing in England, got nothing against the guy. But, you know, he, he wasn't uh, supremely successful in England, never won anything for Tottenham or Sheffield Wednesday. But they love him here. And it's the first player that when you say Englishman, Chris Waddle, I spoke with this agent once and he said, look, he's, th their job is to sell players like products and they go for stereotypes. And I think the French have in their mind that the English produce good midfield players. Um, he was telling me that if he, he worked a lot in Africa and he was saying, look, if I try and sell an African goalkeeper, it's really hard. If I go and try and sell a defensive midfielder from Africa, people say, oh, because, you know, they suddenly think, oh, there's a sort of tradition of them. There's no reason behind that. It's, it's prejudice and it's a stereotype. But this happens. And I, I just think the French, we all know what the French think of English goalkeepers, for instance. If you watch French football programs and a French goalkeeper makes a mistake, They'll say, oh, oh, an English style, you know, English style goalkeeper. It's ridiculous, you know. But so I think the French think, OK, the English produce quite good midfield players. I think Beckham had a lot to do with that. But going back to Barkley, uh, sorry, a roundabout way of getting to Barkley. Uh, Angus is absolutely right. Barkley must be, what, 27, 28 at least. Uh, wasn't getting his football. He wasn't getting a game at Chelsea for the last couple of years from what I saw. Um, he has to come and embrace the culture the league um, and adapt. I get the feeling that Nicia would maybe with Jim Radcliffe, they, they want to bring British players in with Aaron Ramsey, who's having terrible injury problems again. Um, you know, good luck to him. He, he's got everything to succeed in France, but it's not a foregone conclusion. I think he came on as a sub at the weekend. He'll have to, he'll have to adapt, but you know, why not? I think it's a good thing if English players do come here um, and get a boost to their career but i don't think they should just see it as a route back to england because that's not really going to work another one that that settled very well and it was also on the south coast was joey barton of course who we saw mm. on the on the terraces in the in with the traveling marseille supporters at, at white hart lane <laughs> at uh <laughs> at tottenham rather that in the, in the champions a, league if, yeah if ever there was a player that was going to go to marseille it was joey barton let's be honest that was a marriage made in heaven if ever there was one Speaking of, of picking the players, it's time for our weekly quiz. We've got our Deja Who. Now, this year, we're giving away one shirt per month. It was a big month of August for, to win the Arik Milik shirt, collector shirt, before he headed off to Juventus and found his scoring touch again. So that one went quickly. This is the final instalment for the September shirt because there's no show next week. We've got an international break and we're back with a, a very big month of October. So this is the final one. 
You have to have got at least one of the other two earlier this uh, month correct to go into the draw. And then you have to answer the key bonus question this afternoon, which is what do they all have in common for the month of September? So if you haven't listened to uh, the first two episodes this month, go back and, and see if you can find out who they were. Here we are for this final installment of the September Deja Vu to win a Ligue 1 jersey. Who am I? My junior football career took me all over France and even a brief stint overseas before finally settling at the French club with whom I would sign my first professional contract and make my Ligue 1 debut. It was a highly, hugely successful period in my club's history with no shortage of silverware, but not without its difficult periods for me and my family off the pitch. After an after acrimonious splits with club and country, a move overseas saw more trophies added to my cabinet, but again, controversy was never far away, even if I eventually patched things up in blue. So there we go. Another uh, conundrum for you. Who am I? And then the bonus question to go into the draw. What do I have in common with the other two September Deja Who's. Any clues, gentlemen? There has been a bit of uh, France international controversy this month. It wasn't intentional, but I guess it was unavoidable, really. And that's another little clue for, for what do the three have in common. Well, with, you, with, with these clues, Robbie, I've learned to filter because I think you're trying to <laughs> deceive us, aren't you? There's all this mist flying around, but there's normally one or two little nuggets. But there are um, a couple of little red herrings in there. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> last week. Don't give anything easy. away. No, if, I won't. Last week was pretty yeah, easy. Yeah, last week was easy. Yeah. yeah, I think I might know, but I need to check. Yeah, I must admit, I, I, I was, um, I was listening to your voice. Though. It was very calming, and I, I kind of zoned out <laughs> for a second and came back in for the, uh, for the last part of it. Um, at, uh, I think I might have got enough out of that too to be able to have a an educated guess, which obviously I'll keep to myself now. Otherwise, it'd be pointless. Absolutely. Before we get to Paris Saint-Germain and look at their final match of the round against Olympic Lyonnais, which was a cracker, uh, we have another little question from, from our listeners. It's Sean Patrick, um, who got last week's Deja Who, I will add, and uh, said it was another great pod, but wants us to uh, say, having seen about two months' worth of Ligue 1 football this season now, who do we think will be in the relegation scrap? And this is the moment that we've all been waiting for to bring up. And I, I wish I had the, the clip to run, Angus, from the preseason preview show. Angus gave nah, 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 nah. Angus gave Strasbourg just about the biggest kiss of death we've had in, in, in Ligue 1 football in years because Strasbourg cannot take a trick at the moment. And Angus, I, I'm not going to say Angus thought they could win the league, but it, they were no. they were definitely in the hunt. One of the front runners, if Marseille and Lorient and Lens are up there within a four points of of Paris Saint Germain, we certainly expected Strasbourg. And 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 we're having a little laugh at Angus's expense. But we all thought Strasbourg were going to be up there or thereabouts this season as well. But but it is up to you, Angus, to remove the mockers, the marabou, as I as I talked about last week, the the black magic that is very prevalent in French football culture because of the, the close ties with Africa and, and how sometimes, you know, a few chicken bones and frog, frog blood can, 
can turn a match in your favour. Um, for the moment, Angus, the kiss of death, is doing a terrible job on Strasbourg. What's going on there? Yeah, clearly my lips are poison, aren't they? But anyway, <laughs> um, yes. Uh, what, to be fair... I don't think I don't think you could really count on all the injuries that they've had uh, this campaign. They had seven players out at uh, at the weekend, and they weren't just inconsequential players either. Play, they were players losing uh, Sasha Prigic, Maxine Lamarchand to suspensions, and Thomas Delane, Dimitri Leonar, and Jozino Niamansi, which are a big miss at the back, I think, for them. Um, they can't score. That's um, been the they issue, have, which they I must a, admit was They have the strikers from me. last year. I mean, Ajork is there, Diallo yeah, is I there. Know. They have, yeah, they have quality yeah. players. There's, there's no excuse, is there, really, <laughs> to be quite honest with you? I, I don't know really why that's the case. But I mean, you know, they haven't won any of their eight games, fourth time in their history. You can go back to the 1950s for a, um, for a, a stat on that one yeah. before uh, Liga existed. Um, I, I must admit, I'm bewildered. I, I mean, I don't know. It's I say Julien Stefan, there was this problem at Rennes, sorry, um, after a stellar campaign for them took them into the Champions League. It didn't work out for them last season with Strasbourg, of course. Um, I'm not saying it's his fault. It's just a little observation that um, that I've noted. It's still very early in the campaign, it has to be said. But if they don't get going soon, then uh, my predictions of Champions League football next season will not even be Europa Conference League. It was a 2-1 loss to Montpellier. Uh, and when I talk about not being able to take a trick, you know, they were, they were right in it until the last minute. Montpellier brought on uh, another kid from their academy who, who hit, the, hit the crossbar, I think, in, the la- in stoppage time and then earned a penalty, which Teji Savanier, um, who was still on the field, he wasn't sent off, which was great for, for Montpellier and Teji Savanier who uh, scored from the penalty spot, that last-minute 2-1 victory. That's the other thing about this, Angus, is that it's cruel. So often, I mean, Julien Stefan's been sent to the stands as well. He's missed matches. But these are cruel defeats. They are. I mean, they've been in the games. So it's been tough. Although when that penalty was given, there must have been a sinking feeling um, for for Strasbourg because Matt Sells hasn't saved any of his last 14 penalties. And... Teji Savanier, uh, well, you know, is Teji Savanier. But uh, Matt Sells was so good last season. I mean, I've, I think I remember giving him goalkeeper of the season last year, if I remember rightly. And I was slightly parodied then as well. But he had a terrific <laughs> campaign. Um, and, but it, it's, I don't know, it's just, I just think it's lots of little things that are not working for them rather than anything particularly I'm big. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to defend Angus. Strasbourg are going to be fine. Come on. Uh, although Stefan did say, I saw an interview with him, I think it was at the start of the season, and he said only about seven clubs can be sure not to go down and everyone else is battling to avoid those last four places. So I, I was thinking yesterday, I'm mean, like, what sort of clubs are, are good at avoiding relegation? And I think it's ones that are very resilient in, in as much as you can lose two or three matches and you just, it's water off a duck's back, you don't let it get to you. Um, they're clubs that when you, you can sort of grind out a, an important win uh, against a, a rival, and very importantly, I think you need the, the fans behind you. Because remember last year, Bordeaux and Saint-Etienne, it, it, was, it was just, the, the clubs were just mm. breaking apart. I mean, I think that's part of the reason that they went down. Um, 
So, I mean, if if I don't know if you're asking me, I, I would worry for the three, the three, the triple A's, if you like, uh, Auxerre. I'm a bit worried about Auxerre. Sorry, Angus, because I know you quite like them. Uh, Angers, Ajaccio, um, Toulouse. Triple Yeah, to, Toulouse. Remember, four go down. I mean, I hope I'd like to see yeah, Toulouse absolutely. stay up, but you know they haven't maybe got that experience of staying up year after year. Rounds have had five players sent off already, so if it carries on like that, I saw they've had a quarter of their playing time has been with ten men. So if that goes on like that, they're going to struggle. But it, you know, a, a lot of other teams could get sucked in. Yeah, I think when you when you look at those teams, you, we know. I mean, Nantes have spent time in Ligue 2 recently. Nice. Uh... As well, uh, as a matter of fact, Strasbourg, Reims. In fact, most of the sides down the bottom have have been up and down. But Angers have spent the l- best part of the last decade somehow navigating those waters. And, and you know, a win yeah. when they needed one against Nice. I think Angers are a side that always surprise me because every season I think, well, they've just sold their entire squad again. <laughs> How can they possibly stay up? And they somehow manage to do it. And then you see a team like Montpellier who... who who do well and then go on a run of, you know, two and a half months without a win and you think, well, they're they're done for, but they get that little second win to to manage to stay up. It's curious, but I agree with the the apart from Lorient, you know, if you look at the top eight uh of the, the league ladder as it stands at the moment, Paris, Marseille, Lens, Monaco, Lyon, Lille, Rennes, they're sides that you can more or less bank on. They're not going to go down at the start of at the start of a season, barring wholesale nuclear catastrophe. Um, Lorient are the big surprise, but everyone else, uh, mm. you know, I think it, I think it's really, really dangerous. Yeah, we, speaking of, we don't get to give André an awful lot of love, really, do we, very much? Uh, we're wa- we're uh, waiting podcast, for the moment. We, we're waiting for the opportunity. We well, <laughs> this is that moment, because um, Nabil Bentaleb's oh, yeah. goal at the weekend was absolutely sensational and it was our goal of the week on the highlights uh, program so make sure that you watch those as well um just for the red cards if anything else <laughs> that was that was the, the but, hardest uh, hit ball wasn't it but, oh it was fantastic it was a, a magnificent shot from outside the box and uh it, it, it's worthwhile watching the highlights for that alone just very I think. quickly to explain yeah. why it's so important to stay up it, i mean that the financial cake is now divided into 20 clubs it will be divided into 18 clubs so those clubs who are in Liga next year will have much better resources, and we know what it's like. That means you can stay in Liga for much longer. So, I mean, because people say, well, every year is important not to go down, but this one is extra important. Sorry, you could argue it's also just more money to waste in being relegated next season, isn't it? Because they're still going to lose clubs next season as well. Yeah, some clubs are are going to go down. Obviously, we did give Angers a fair bit of love in the past when Stefan Moulin was was working his wonders as well. With the club, but it's it's a it's a it's a good point, Angus, and one that we'll uh, look to rectify in the next uh, before the World Cup, shall we say? Let's have a, a look at some of the unsung heroes of Liga. It's certainly not the case for this next match. Olympic Lyonnais versus Paris Saint Germain. It's one of the red letter days on the French calendar. It's our final match of this uh, podcast wrap of the weekend action, and it was a superb atmosphere inside Group Armor Stadium. At kickoff, PSG were looking to move back clear at the top of the standings. OL were looking to avoid a third straight defeat, something they hadn't uh, experienced in the last four and a half years, I think it was. Let's hear from our very own Andy Scott 
calling the action. Tete and Cal Tucker can be on the wings. It's very attack-minded, but they've got some defending to do at the minute. Neymar into the box. Messi's first-time shot into the net. And inside five minutes, Paris Saint-Germain take the lead here. Their first shot on goal. And they have the advantage. And it's Lionel Messi from Neymar's pass. Christophe Galtier's side off to the ideal start here. Messi and Neymar combining. He knew exactly where the goal was there. Feeds it back the way to Contant Tuliso. That's a really good ball into the middle. And Lacazette's header at the back post is off target. Well, the two old boys who've returned to the club for this season combining. That should have been equalising goal for Lacazette, who's got four this season already. Neymar now. Nuno Mendes is still going. Mbappe back to Nuno Mendes. Neymar maybe to finish it off. Anthony Lopez makes the save. It's all too easy for Paris Saint-Germain. It's really impressive stuff from the uh, visitors, but I think uh, from a Lyon viewpoint, Anthony Lopez will be furious. Well, Messi went through that patch uh, in his career at Barcelona when he couldn't stop scoring direct from a free kick. Goes for goal here. It's off the woodwork and turned in by Sergio Ramos. The flag uh, is up. The goal will not stand. So, gentlemen, in his 100th Liga match itself, a minor miracle perhaps. Who'd have thought Neymar, with his serious injuries each year since he joined Paris Saint-Germain, was ever going to get to 100 Liga matches? He got there, and I think it's something like 44 or 48 assists now, 121 goal, 48, yeah, 121 or 22 goal assists or goals in 100 matches. It's a fantastic record. He could have played a, a little bit more, perhaps, but he is really finding the goods. It was assist number seven of this season for Lionel Messi. It was a 1-0 win, but Andreas, you were calling this match for PSG TV as well. Paris, probably the better side, but it was a, it was a really good match. Oh, it was an excellent match. And um, it's actually 44 assists. Um, I think it was definitely much But you held closer. up two fours. No, that was four and four. You know, that's... Okay. <laughs> yeah, miscommunication there. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. When it was actually even before the match, I don't know if you saw um, Peter Boss's advice for playing against PSG. Someone asked him, "What, what do you do?" And he said, "Mark tightly. Don't give the ball away and cross your fingers." Which seemed to be a bit of a kind of admission that they were going to lose. They obviously conceded very early. To be honest, PSG had a lot of chances, and Lopez was brilliant in the, in, in the Lyon goal. I don't think I've seen him play so well. But And this is the good news for PSG is Neymar physically, he, he seems to be much stronger. He's, he is defending well. He's getting the tackles in. He's getting the blocks in. But he's working so well with Messi. And um, something that, uh, that I noticed during the, 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 the game at Maccabi Haifa is, you know, when, when the teams are playing against a block of, block of defence, you know, parking the bus, the conventional wisdom is spread the play, you know, find the gaps, get round the back. Neymar and Messi, they rip up the, the rule book. They play really close together. And there was a great moment uh, in, 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 in that match in midweek and, and again last night where you see Messi running straight towards Neymar. I mean, they're like about a metre apart and then they play a give and go and suddenly three defenders are just taken out. And it's it, the, the passing needs to be absolutely perfect. And that, that football intelligence we've talked about has to be perfect. So it, it it's it's brilliant to watch. And Mbappe had a bit of an off an off night for him, but um, Messi and Neymar were superb. 
Uh, you know, if, if they stay fit, they're going to be scoring a bucket loads of goals. Uh, in terms of Leon, it, it's, I always find it hard to judge, you know, when you play PSG because they are so much better than everyone else. There is pressure on Peter Boss. The um, Leon hierarchy was saying that we want to be in the podium before the World Cup, which, you know, doesn't give them a lot of time. Um, nine points be, now. Nine points yeah. for, to Paris Saint-Germain for, for Leon. I think they're five off the top three now. Yeah, and he, he seems to he seems to be quite liked, um, Peter Boss, but the, the results are not really coming. And when I saw the formation, 4-4-2, you know, a du- you know Dutchmen always play 4-3-3, don't they? That's like, they, they love that system. So for him to play a 4-4-2, even if Lacazette was, was kind of coming back a bit, almost a 4-5-1, but changing the formation, yeah, I suppose PSG, why not? But uh it's a big, big month for, for Leon Robbie. They've really got to start getting some points on the board. But to me, PSG, no, were, were, were superb last night. Really could have been three or four. Yeah, I think there was some... It's just fan, so good. Like you say, seeing seeing Messi and Neymar play through the middle, those little passes, the goal, Messi's goal, the way he takes it, you almost know what's coming, but it still surprises you. The way he hit that ball so sweetly, so quickly, uh, first time, is like... Lopez had a fantastic match, but he couldn't set himself in time for the goal because it was just so smooth and and so fast, so rapid. It was there was a moment where he put three defenders on the ground, including Lopez, with a with a feint that was just a thing of absolute beauty. Um, before denied by Lukeba on the on the line with his header, but there was some wonderful play. And yes, I think Kylian Mbappe maybe had a bit of an off game, but he and. Uh, Mench, Mendes down the down the left hand side, they offer something that Neymar and Messi don't offer, which is just raw pace. They they P, this PSG side has options. They can play it intricate through the middle. They can stretch the game, play it play it fast and long down the flanks, and and it's exciting. Angus, no, I, I was I was I was going to say that um, at the end of this season. If uh, Neymar manages to stay fit all the way through it, there is a physio who is definitely in line for a massive pay rise <laughs> because this will be the first time since he's arrived that he will have actually made it through. He would have already been injured normally, let's be and honest. He does have the same but two I mean, physios his... that he's had since he arrived at PSG. <laughs> Maybe they finally worked him out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, his, his start has been absolutely amazing. Now, the cynics would say maybe it's because there's a World Cup coming up uh, in November that uh, he's impressing so much. Um, but I can't believe that that is the only reason. I mean, the, the play has been magnificent. We're seeing that passing, that you are now seeing that Barcelona memory coming out between uh, Messi and, uh, and Neymar. And, and as you say, when they're two of the best passes in world football, and you can be as tight as you want at the back, it makes no difference whatsoever because they just know where each other is going to be. They know the movement that they need to do to be able to find the other one. And sometimes you just look at it and you go, how is that possible? But it's a beautiful thing to watch. And I think Messi last season had a slightly better season than I think a lot of people actually thought because he was so good bringing others into play. It was not surprising, perhaps, that he didn't score as many goals because Paris Saint-Germain has not set up to play the way that he played at Barcelona, where everything was designed to see him score goals. And I think he adapted pretty well. This season, he's up to five goals, I believe, now, which is already nearly beyond what he got last season. I think it's equals as what he got last season. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a lot more to come now here. And frankly, 
I think it's amazing that any of the other teams are anywhere close to them at the moment. Yeah, I, I agree with Angus. Never mind Lorient. Going, going back to that Messi stat, he hit the post again last night, which I think is 14 times. Now, I know he hit the post is not getting a shot on target, but it means you're mightily close. And it was like underside of the bar again. So, he, you know, people are saying, oh, he's, he's sort of blowing hot and cold. No, he, he, to me, he's, he's been very good. He's been unlucky hitting the post a lot. Um, this World Cup factor that Angus raised, I think is interesting because you could look at it the other way. I mean, Neymar's on the flight to Qatar, whatever happens. He could have actually taken it a bit easy, thinking, well, I don't want to get injured. You know, but he, he's done the opposite. He, he's really raised his game. Um, and talking to Brazilians, a quick word for Thiago Mendes, who's been criticised a lot playing centre-back for Lyon. I think he was the man of the match. He was amazing last night, Thiago Mendes. Um, so there is some some hope for Lyon, but but yeah, I agree with Angus that the, with, with Neymar, Mbappe and Messi playing so well, it, you know, they could get past, what, 100 goals this year? It, it could be a really record-breaking season for Paris. Although for Thiago Mendes, we shouldn't forget that he was the man that gave away the free kick that uh, Messi nearly scored from towards the end. So there is there is the odd mistake in there as well in dangerous positions. Yeah, but he it is it. Is, I mean, he's playing in that central defensive position, Thiago Mendes, which which we haven't really seen not much anyway. But but he is playing. He is finding form in a new position that is a throwback to the to that Lille side that won the league, where he was he was superb in that in that Lille team as well that earned that earned that move. A look at the league table then after eight matches. Of this season, Paris Saint-Germain, just as they were after week three of the campaign, are two points clear. Olympique de Marseille just dropping points this weekend. Three wins on the trot for Lorient, four in their last five. They sit third. Three points behind Paris Saint-Germain, one behind Marseille and one ahead of Lens in fourth place. Then already a gap, four points back to Monaco, who are on the charge. We were wondering what was happening to Monaco they are back with a vengeance. Three wins on the trot for them. They have climbed up to fifth, overtaking just about everyone on the way. Olympic Lyonnais, that's more trouble for them at the moment. We are. It was Gerard Houllier that used to say a, a great team can lose a match, but never two in a row. Well, that's three now for Olympic Lyonnais. Seventh place, Lille on level on points with Lyon. Rennes, a point behind in eighth. Montpellier are there. Trois, courtesy of uh, a good run in the end for Trois. That's four wins now in their last six, and they are on ten points. No, three wins, that is, because that doesn't add up. Three wins in their last five. They are on ten points. Then Clermont are there as well. Toulouse, Nice, Angers, Nantes, and Auxerre on seven points. And then we're into that fearsome bottom four where Reims have one win on six points. Strasbourg, without a win, five draws and three defeats. They're on five points. Brest, just the one win. It was 7-0 over Montpellier, but that's been their only joy this season. They are on five points as well. And Ajaxio finally have that win, but it's still not enough to lift them off the bottom. They are on four points. Gentlemen, it's time for our Bon Voyage segment, where we... Have a look ahead to uh, the action on the final weekend, Friday the 30th of September, Saturday the 1st of October. There's international football between now and then. It kicks off with an unheralded Angers against Olympique de Marseille. Perhaps this will be the moment Angus Tarode has been waiting for to sing the praises of Le Scou. 
On the Saturday, there's Rennes away to Strasbourg. Paris Saint-Germain entertain Nice. The Tube de l'été, Lorient, entertain Lille in the early kickoff match on the sun- Sunday afternoon. Monaco are at home to Nantes as well. And the final match of the round, which could be another cracker and another huge match when you consider everything at stake now for Olympic Lyonnais, they are away to Lens as well. Andreas, what of this round of matches catches your fancy? Maybe go a bit left field and go to Lorient for the reason we talked about, because Lorient are doing so well. And Lille, we haven't talked about Lille, but I, I think they're actually really interesting because when, when Lille are good, they can be really good. I've seen them play away and, and dominate uh, Marseille, dominate Nantes for like 20 or 30 minutes. So Lille wants to keep an eye on, but well, yeah, I'll go to uh, Lorient against Lille to see if if the Hakes can keep up their run. <laughs> it is a great little fishing town. On that, on a on a on a very uh, Celtic-looking coastline, I think we could say in in Brittany. There's there's often a lot of rain and there's good fishing. Angus, what about you? I quite like the look of uh, Lance against Lyon. Um, big fan of Frank Hayes, even more than Jean-Marc Ferland, but uh, <laughs> or even less than Mark Ferland, I have to say. But um, I think that uh, Lance. Um, Wonderful team to watch. And the Stadbull out is one of the marvels of world football when it's full. They went 10 years without a full house, didn't they? For various different reasons. The crowd are well and truly back into the Stadbull out now. Um, I, I commentated the first time they had a a, um, a full house there against Saint-Étienne, funnily enough. And um, it brought goosebumps. To, and I think I would like to have that feeling again. So Lance against Leon is definitely for me. Well, in the absence of Matthew Spiro, who we know has uh, very posh tastes, I'm going to go to the Champagne Derby between Troyes and Reims on uh, the Sunday afternoon, or at least that's where I would go. And I'll, and I'll just tell you an interesting little fact about Troyes, because it's a, it's a very quaint little town. It's got lots of little Tudor buildings in the middle. It's got quite a Quite an Alsatian, so as to avoid saying German feel to it, the town, as you head from Paris, as you head east. But uh, what I particularly like about Troyes, um, which is the, in the Champagne region of France, is that the city walls are in the shape of a Champagne cork. And I don't know if that's intentional or just by, by complete chance, but when have a, get onto Google Maps and have a look at the shape of the, the, the city. It actually goes well it could be a mushroom now that now that i think about it but it look it looks in the the history and the the tradition and the legend has it that it's the city is in the shape of a champagne cork so there you go did you gentlemen know that i didn't that's one hell of a coincidence that no it's been done like that although <laughs> you've been eating some funny mushrooms if your mushrooms look like corks robbie but let's not get into that <laughs> <laughs> mushrooms that come in all sorts of shapes and sizes all right gentlemen that will do us before we head into a horticultural segue or uh, or perhaps else mind-bending segue as we were almost uh, inviting Angus to do earlier. We won't go there. We won't go there. Angus, you can go back to bed on this Monday morning. Thank you very much for your time. We appreciate the effort it took you to get up. Thank you very much. It's been, uh, it's been an experience. <laughs> we'll do it again soon. 
an enjoyable one. Excellent. Andreas, you too. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for sharing your, your wisdom with us on the League Gun Podcast. Thanks. See you next time. Guys. And we will see you again in two weeks' time on Le Bourgeois. Bye-bye, everyone. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. A goal back. Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it.